0: This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. When you hear cage-free eggs, do you picture hens outside roaming around? Well, that's what those egg companies want you to think. Really, cage-free hens live crammed indoors. Meanwhile, Vital Farms hens are pasture-raised on actual pastures with plenty of grass and sunshine for healthier hens and better eggs. Vital Farms pasture-raised. Visit vitalfarms.com coupon and look for us in the black carton at the grocery store.
1: Hi, I'm Lainey, host of the new podcast, We're All Just Pretending. It's a podcast that has elements of Dear Abby with a twist of Post secret. Every episode, I'll read listener questions and provide advice and insight as a friend. My own pod friends will even join in and offer their advice on parenting, relationships, and even give you really bad advice on purpose. Since we all have secrets to share, there'll also be a segment focusing on letting the skeletons out of your closet. If you're looking for advice or want to share a secret, head to allpretendingpod.com. And remember, we're all just pretending here.
0: Hey everybody, I'd like to just Tell you real quick about two opportunities coming up where I, Charlie, will be meeting with some listeners. First, I'll be at the Generation Y fifth anniversary celebration on October 14th in the Buffalo Room at the Westport Flea Market in Kansas City. Also, on November 11th, I will be in Fort Smith, Arkansas. We are going to be meeting at the Panera in Fort Smith at probably about six o'clock. Meet us for dinner, pastries, coffee, all of that. We can talk some true crime, talk about podcasting, talk about whatever you want to talk about. Information will go out over social media, so be sure to keep an eye out for that. So again, October 14th in Kansas City, there to celebrate Generation Y. Very excited for that. And then also November 11th in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Welcome to Insight. I'm Charlie and with me today is Allie. How are you, Allie? I I actually have no idea how I'll feel when this episode
1: finally comes out in I think October. And we're recording in what's this now? I don't
0: even know. If we're in, it's June, right? It's June. June. Yes. We are coming to you guys from the past. Ooh. The past where I only had five children. Instead of taking a break for me to have a baby. Allie and I have just been working really hard to get some episodes together for my break while we're still doing our usual weekly episodes while Ally's planning her episodes for the fall. So some of these episodes are going to be our usual length, but it's also a great chance for us to cover some of those shorter cases we've wanted to cover because we pretty much only have time for shorter <laughs> cases right now. And this is going to be one of those shorter ones, but it's still a very interesting case. Yes, I'm really glad that we have the opportunity to bring this one to you because I'm not sure how familiar people are with it, but I think there's a lot here. And this is a case of Dr. Talika Patrick, a brilliant woman who died in somewhat mysterious circumstances in 2013. Some believe she was murdered, but others believe it was an accidental death or possibly a suicide of a woman who was struggling with severe and Untreated mental health condition. So, giving the background, as always, Talika was born September 18th, 1983. She was the oldest of three children in a religious family. Some reports will have her listed as the oldest of four children, though I think there's some confusion over her brother's given name and the name he goes by, and so they tend to list him twice. Her father was a pastor in the Seventh day Adventist Church, and her mother was a nurse. She graduated from high school as a National Merit Finalist, which is an academic distinction based on test scores, academic performance, and also extracurricular activities. She was sociable and brilliant and a hard worker, and we will definitely see that as we talk about some of her accomplishments. Though it's reported she received scholarships to at least one Ivy League school, she decided to attend Oakwood University in Huntsville, Alabama. Oakwood is a historically black college owned and operated by the Seventh day Adventist Church. She graduated in 2004, eventually relocating to California, which is where she met her to be ex husband, Ismael, in 2006.
1: Ismael and Talika met on an online match service. Both were educated and intelligent, and they hit it off immediately through their conversations. Talika knew she wanted to marry him even before they met face to face. In spite of a short breakup three months after meeting, they married in July 2006 after only a six or seven month courtship. In that courtship, there were two red flags that Ismail put aside. First, early on, Talika said A Beautiful Mind was her favourite movie because it was essentially telling her story. Now, for those who haven't seen the movie, one, go and see it. It really is a great movie. But second, what it's about, it's a biopic about John Nash, who was a well-known mathematician who was both a brilliant man and a schizophrenic. In an odd parallel, the first time his mental illness crossed over into his work was when he was around 30. And we will see that here with Talika in a little bit. Talika also told Ismail that while she was an undergraduate in Alabama, she heard what she thought was the voice of God speaking to her. Ismail wasn't Seventh Day Adventist like Talika, but he still believed in God and miracles. And while he found it off that she heard a voice, he also knew how deeply religious she was, and that the voice she thought she heard, it may have just been an expression of that deep belief. They moved with Ismail's two children to Loma Linda in California. And that's where Talika enrolled in medical school. She was pursuing both her MD as well as a PhD in biochemistry. When we say Talika was brilliant and hardworking, I don't know that we can put it any more plainly than that she was pursuing dual degrees at a doctorate level. That alone shows her level of intelligence. But that and the pressure to perform at such a high level, it may have hurt her in one way it made it easier for her to hide or mask her escalating mental illness. By 2009, she was past being able to hide it from Ismail. She would become paranoid that he was cheating or he was trying to keep her from completing medical school. She became physical with him and he had no choice but to move himself and his children out while begging her to get help so they could get back on track. Because he didn't want to separate or divorce. He wanted her to get help. She initially agreed and then said she wouldn't. There were two significant factors for Talika. First, there is a stigma around mental illness. She didn't want to be seen as being mentally ill. Second, a diagnosis of a mental illness like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder that would have impeded her career. And her medical career was her life's ambition. And the thought of losing it was more than she could take. Talika eventually filed for divorce And they were officially divorced in 2012.
0: I have a family member with schizophrenia and her doctors have said something like this early on, that her intelligence would either help her in that she would have the ability to understand the complicated factors of her disease, or it would hurt her in that she would find ways to hide it from everyone else, far past the point where she truly needed help and intervention.
1: I have a family member also with schizophrenia, and it's exactly the same story.
0: In July of 2013, Talika moved to Michigan for her residency in psychiatry with Western Michigan University School of Medicine in Kalamazoo. As you can imagine with someone as talented as she was, she had her choice of residency programs, but told the staff that she chose this one specifically to be closer to her fiancé, who lived in Grand Rapids. Because she wasn't actually engaged to anyone that we know of, it seems that this engagement was actually an infatuation rather than a real relationship, and that's what led her to Michigan. Starting about seven months before she moved to Michigan, Talek had started contacting Marvin Sapp. He's a pastor and a gospel singer in Grand Rapids, Michigan, the pastor was well known in gospel circles and still is if anyone in our audience is a fan of american gospel music they may have heard of marvin Sapp. he wasn't unused to this type of attention from women particularly after his wife died of cancer in 2010 which left him a widower in his early 40s so he was used to women being interested in him and sending him a lot of messages Talika continued to contact him, even though it appears that he never acknowledged any of her correspondence. She had told family that she was going to marry Sap, so that's why we're going to say he's probably the fiancé she said she was moving to Michigan to be close to. And before we get deeper into the details here, we do need to take a break for a word from our sponsor. If you're hiring, you know that quality hires keep your business moving forward. But you also know it can take a lot of time to find the right candidates for the job. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting. So you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you, it finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidate with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash site. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash site. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash site. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
1: It wasn't long after arriving in Kalamazoo that Talika had her first concerning incident. On July 10, she flagged down a public safety officer in Kalamazoo. She told him that a security guard was following her and she felt like she was in danger. He was concerned about her mental health and called the medical school about it. Now, I know it's a bit of a joke to say just because you're paranoid, it doesn't mean that people are out to get you. But I think it's important to note that people with mental illness are at an increased risk of violence against them. They're often quite vulnerable, and due to their mental illness, their reports are sometimes brushed off. So we don't know if this incident was Talika having a moment of paranoia, or if she did actually have a run-in with someone, or felt rightfully intimidated by a security guard in the area. I don't want to brush off this report as evidence of her mental illness. It could be that, but then again, it could just as easily might not be. Regardless, the call to the school prompted a drug test, which Talika passed. By August of 2013, Talika had sent well over 400 messages and pictures to Marvin Sapp, the pastor and gospel singer, who prompted her move to Michigan. These messages were primarily sent over social media. She'd also begun attending his church, which was a non-denominational Christian church, though he doesn't ever remember seeing her there. Then, while he was out of town for work, she showed up at his Grand Rapids home and spoke to his children. Now, this crossed the line for him, and he applied for a restraining order to keep her from contacting him and his kids. He also noted that she had been telling people that he was her husband. This order was granted in September of 2013. It included not being allowed to go near his place of work, which essentially cut her off from the church where she'd been attending. The restraining order was received by Talika, and from all reports, she respected it and ceased contact.
0: Though she ceased contacting him directly, that didn't mean this delusion was over. In October, Talika struck an animal with her car. She texted a friend back in California that she believed that Marvin had possessed the spirit of the animal and actually had sent it to attack her. She followed up with more messages about demons and such, but the text didn't really make a lot of sense, and they didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Perhaps someone who shared her faith and understood this idea of possession and demons may have understood them better than I did. Talika also had some concerning social media postings. For instance, on the day the restraining order was filed she posted about how she was concerned that the telepathic link she had with Marvin was a figment of her imagination. She doubted that God had told her that she was supposed to be with Marvin, and she was afraid that she had experienced a psychotic break. But then she read one of his public social media postings, and she believed there was a hidden message to her in it, and it calmed her worries. And this is something we also see. Something comes in and inadvertently bolsters the delusion and and that helps it continue for even longer and this wasn't the only concerning message Talika had multiple Twitter handles all fairly transparent so that you knew they were her and most of the references were directed towards a bearded widower with three children who lived in Grand Rapids so we know they're about Marvin In her tweets, she acknowledges that he never calls, texts, or communicates with her directly. It's all this psychic connection, and he speaks to her through it. After the restraining order, like Ali said, it appears she stopped contacting him, but the tweets continued. She talked about how he left her drained, how he hurt her, and how she was becoming depressed. On November 2nd, she posted, I guess Inviga is not as powerful as they advertised. I guess I could tap into it again if I really wanted to, but it started scaring me, so I'm not trying to do it anymore. Now, Envega is a medication used to treat schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder, but as far as I know, she never received a diagnosis of any sort because she never sought help. She did work in a hospital as a psychiatric resident. It's possible she had access to this medication, It is available as a daily pill, but there's also a shot that's available, and that you get, like, once a month. So it isn't as though we have to picture her somehow taking a whole bottle of pills off the shelf and no one notices. She could have gotten the shot instead. It may have been easier for her to get it or give it to herself covertly. Honestly, someone may have even helped her, assuming it was worth trying it but not worth derailing her promising career by giving her an official diagnosis. And of course, it's always possible that, that she did go see a doctor and got the shot from the doctor to try it out. She didn't have to have stolen it. We just don't know. We, it seems like there's a gap in the reporting. We know she took it because she said she took it, but wide reports are that she never sought help. So how could she have gotten it if she never sought help?
1: On December 4, Talika talked to a friend in St. Louis and asked him to come visit her soon because she was scared and distraught. Let's remember that as we talk through the red flags of this declining mental health, we are talking about Dr. Talika Patrick. She went through medical school and graduated with two degrees. She was in her first year of residency where she was considered to be excelling. That's a lot for a person who isn't struggling with mental health. Through researching this, I felt very sad for Talika, but I was also overwhelmed at her strength and her ability to keep striving and succeeding with so much going against her. That same night, she tweeted, "'You reach me through a demonic porthole. That gives demons power over me and dilutes my spiritual authority. Please understand that I must protect myself spiritually.'" I have to assume that this again was about Marvin, and her belief that he was talking to her through psychic channels. Now was this belief that demons had power over her what scared her enough to reach out to her friend? I don't know. But the next day, she deleted her social media accounts.
0: Even scared and distraught, Talika did what she always did. She showed up. She did what she had to do. She went to work on December 5th and worked her full shift. No one noticed anything odd during her work hours, but when it was time to leave, she put all of her items that belonged to the medical school, her cell phone, her badges, and IDs, she put those into her locker. At 7.30, she asked a coworker for a ride downtown to the Radisson Hotel. She said she had lost her wallet, so he gave her $100. Oddly here, she had her own car, and it was in the hospital parking lot, and it worked, but she was asking a coworker for a ride. The coworker said she was acting strange and that the conversation was odd. She said she was meeting a man at the hotel and then she told him, meaning the coworker, not to attend the morning prayer group at the hospital the next day, but didn't give a reason or didn't give a coherent reason. She went into the hotel and the coworker drove off. She never directly asked for a room, but her behavior in the lobby made the front desk receptionist ask her if she was okay. She said she was, but that she didn't have the money or the ID she needed for a room. And what she really needed was a ride back to the hospital to get those things. So the hotel shuttle driver took her back to the hospital. When they arrived at the hospital, Talika reportedly told the driver that she couldn't go back with him and not to tell people that they did this. Did what? We don't know. The driver thought it was an odd statement And so he hung back a little bit while Talika went into the parking area, but then he later saw a car pull out that he thought was Talika behind the wheel. So he figured she was okay and he went back to the hotel. At 10 p.m. that evening, Indiana State Police received reports of an erratic driver on I-94. The driver would speed up to an excess of 80 miles an hour and then slow back down and then do it again and again and then the car would veer and pass other cars. The callers did not describe the driver, but they did say the driver was the sole occupant in the car. The police were then alerted to the car being off the road near Porter, Indiana, which is about an hour and a half west of Kalamazoo. Police arrived within 10 minutes after that last call about the car going off the road, and they found the car abandoned about 40 feet off the road and it had a flat tire. They immediately searched the area, but they couldn't find the driver anywhere. In the vehicle, there was a wallet with $7 in it and an ID. The keys to the car were not found, and the car was towed away.
1: On December 6th, Talika did not show for work. Attempts to reach her failed, and at about 6.30 that evening, police were called, and Talika was reported missing. Though her car had been found and impounded just the night before in a neighboring state, it wouldn't be until December 10th that the connection between missing Talika and the found car was made. Talika had been driving a white rental car while her car was in the shop, and police believed initially that this was still the case. However, she would picked up her car a few days before she went missing. They found a receipt from the mechanic that said her car was not safe to drive due to a collision damage and a nail in the tire. It's unclear why she declined having the tire fixed. Now, it's possible she went off the road due to the flat, though it's also possible she veered off the road and the manoeuvre further damaged the vulnerable tire.
0: And with her car being found, the investigators knew what area to begin searching for Talika. They checked hotels, hospitals, rest areas, all that kind of thing. The FBI was involved and conducted both ground and air searches. Social media accounts and bank accounts, they were untouched after December 5th. She also hadn't taken any credit cards or bank cards with her. Search dogs were brought in and tracked back to the highway. There were some limits in this search. It had been five or more days since Talika's car had been towed from the spot, But this led investigators to come up with scenario number one, which was that Talika then hitchhiked after abandoning her car. They initially released the information that they believe she may be headed to Chicago to see family. Later, they admitted that they also felt she may have been heading to her friend's house in St. Louis, but they didn't want to release this information. They were kind of walking, they were balancing things here. On the one hand, they wanted the public's help in finding Talika, but on the other hand, if Talika did leave on her own and they wanted to find her and she was trying to lay low, they didn't wanna scare her off by revealing where they thought she went. So they were looking in St. Louis even though they weren't alerting the public to it. It's kind of a balance for police to know how much information to give and how much to hold back when they're looking at cases like this, active missing persons cases.
1: Even while pursuing the idea, she left the car and continued in another vehicle, they continued to search the area. There was no snow or ice when Talika went missing on December 5, but temperatures had dropped by December 6 and stayed cold enough that the nearby lake, Lake Charles, it stayed frozen over until April. The lake was quite close to where Talika's car was found, so it was a clear choice of where to look. In late January, so about eight weeks after Talika went missing, investigators did a sonar search of Lake Charles. Now, it wasn't just iced over at this point, it was also covered in snow. They used machinery to dig 55 holes in a grid pattern across the lake. Then they used sonar equipment at each hole, but they found nothing. Searches were ongoing, with one being at the very beginning of April, when there were finally no snow on the ground. About 40 people gathered to search the area where Talika went missing, but nothing more was found. There was plans to send divers into the lake, but a date wasn't yet set for when that would happen because it was dependent on when the ice cleared.
0: Then on April 6th, exactly four months after she was reported missing, Dr. Talika Patrick's body was found by a fisherman out on a walk around Lake Charles. She was found in about three feet of water, she was wearing the clothes she had last been reported seen in. In her coat pocket, she had her car keys, her pager, and $100. And we can assume this $100 was the money her coworker had loaned her. On the other side of the lake from the highway is a large truck stop that late at night would be highly visible because of the lights. So there is a theory here that Talika, having driven off the road whether causing the flat tire because of the flat tire, she started walking towards the lights to get help and started walking in the direct path. After coming over a wooded berm that separated the highway from the lake, the rugged and steep slope down to the lake, it may have taken her by surprise and she fell into the water. Now, there are two main issues with this theory. One is that there is a fence with barbed wire on the top between the highway and the lake. These are put up to keep the wildlife that use the lake and the fields and the woods there from wandering onto the highway. The police said that they won't speculate on how she got over, around, or through this fence, though it is an older fence and there may have been some worn areas that she possibly could have slipped through.
1: And that's the thing that sticks with me on this whole case is how did she get into that lake Because, because of that fence. I mean, she could have headed in that direction for a whole bunch of reasons, but I read so much and I couldn't find anything that made it clear or at least tried to explain how she got through or over or around that fence.
0: Exactly. And the second big issue here is that the lake doesn't have a sudden drop off in depth. It wasn't as though she could have fallen in and ended up in 20 feet of water immediately. It's unclear why she didn't turn around and walk out of the water when she first took her first couple steps into it or fell into the shallow area. Why didn't she just stand up and walk out of the water? Of course, had she been taking her own life, that would explain why she didn't get out of the water, though even investigators have ruled this an accidental drowning. Had she planned to just walk away and drown herself in a lake? Why did she take the keys and the money with her? It seems much more likely she took those with her because she was headed to get help for her flat tire.
1: Her tox screen came back clear and the autopsy showed she had drowned. There were no signs of additional trauma. She was not seen with anyone else at the various times she was seen that night. But Talika's family were not convinced and a second autopsy was performed. It has been reported that this autopsy was more thorough than the initial ones. However, the results were largely the same. She died of drowning and there were no other signs of injury. Talika's family still believes that there is more to this story and investigators were too quick to close the case. Could Talika have tried to hitchhike like originally thought and was picked up by the wrong person? Or worse, could she have been trying to leave because she was being followed? I mean, that makes sense with the odd behaviour of her leaving her car, getting a ride to the hotel, getting a ride back to the car, and then getting in her car to leave. This could have been an attempt to possibly shake someone who was following her. When she went off the road, if someone was following her, it would have been the perfect time to pull over and grab her. The January sonar search of the lake, which was done with advanced equipment and from all reports was extremely thorough. 40 people, including police officers, searched that area just five days before her body was found. This raises the question of if she was taken from the area and then returned later.
0: I understand there are some inconsistencies here, and I think there are always holes in any theory, in any case, things that we don't fully understand. I do think that this death was an accident. I think somehow she accidentally got in that water and... Whether she was having a full on hallucination, whatever delusion or hallucination she was having, may have been why she didn't turn around and get out of that water. She may she may have been in a really far a farther state than she had been before as far as hallucinations and delusions go. I don't see the evidence for the murder except it is odd that they didn't find her body with a thorough sonar search of the lake and then people searching that area just days before she was found.
1: I think this might be the first time ever we don't agree on what we think is what happened. (laughs) But based on what you just said, I'm not usually the one to subscribe to conspiracy theories, but I think I have to agree with the family that there is every chance that someone else could have been involved. As you said, they searched that area so thoroughly and they found nothing. So I don't know, but I really think it is possible someone else was responsible for her death, which makes this story all the more tragic and sad considering what she was struggling with and what she'd achieved. For her life to end that way would be horrible.
0: And regardless of what caused the death of Dr. Patrick, as I researched, I noticed a startling change in the media coverage. It went from beautiful, brilliant doctor missing to gospel singer stalker missing. When the restraining order came out in the media and her erratic behavior made the news, that's what the story became about. She went from being one headline to being a totally different one. While all the time we're still talking about the same beautiful, brilliant doctor who also struggled with her mental health. And her family became concerned about this as well. They were concerned while she was missing that more people were interested in looking for her when she was the beautiful, brilliant doctor And less so for when she was the quote crazy lady who probably just wandered off. I know I've brought up, I probably have brought up these two podcasts before, but The Vanished and Thin Air, they both cover ongoing missing persons cases and they both go past these headlines. They go past these sound bites and they're giving you the whole picture of who the person was, mentally ill or not, successful women holding multiple graduate degrees or not, runaways or not they don't prioritize their missing people and the cases they covered based on what's most newsworthy about them. And I really appreciate the work of those two podcasts. And I think in researching this, I saw exactly the opposite of what they're doing, where she became more about her mental illness than the fact that this woman was missing.
1: Which is horrible because she's more than just her mental illness. She's a person that deserves deserved to be found and deserved answers to what happened to her
0: before we wrap up i just want to recommend an article on mentalhealthamerica.com called black and african american communities and mental health it covers a lot of studies and shows the stigma surrounding mental illness and how prevalent it is and that the lack of access to mental health providers who understand the cultural issues and societal issues facing people of color these things keep people of color from getting the help they need, even if they had the health insurance and the money and the transportation and the doctors available to see them. Even if they had all that, they're still facing boundaries and and walls that we don't really acknowledge. And so I recommend anyone interested in delving more into that to go check out that article so you can better understand these obstacles. And I feel like Dr. Patrick, if this accident or murder or if her death had never happened and she had more time to get the help she needed she would have been one of those people who bridged this gap between the care providers and the black community she would have helped those people find their way if she had been able to find her way first if she just had more time she
1: could have made such a big difference in people's lives.
0: Thank you guys for joining us this week. And because we're recording this way in advance, I don't have any shout outs or anything prepared because I don't know where we'll be on our list in September, October, whenever you do hear this. So I'll just give you our usual housekeeping. You can find us on Facebook. We have a page and a group. The group is where we generally hang out. We have Twitter at InsightfulPod, and you'll talk primarily to me when I'm back online after having a baby. Allie is on Instagram at insightpod, and you can also email us directly at insightfulpod at gmail.com. We try to answer every email that we get, but sometimes we're a little slow, so just hang in there. We'll get to you, and we will see you guys again next week.